0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Strettycast, the official podcast from strettynews.com. A Manchester United podcast linked in with United blog and YouTube channel we just try to provide you content on all platforms. Today I had the pleasure of interviewing former Manchester United manager Ron Atkinson, the man that won two FA Cups for United but was misfortunate I guess to, to not win a league. Um, Liverpool were dominant in the 80s. Ron Atkinson's United struggled with consistency, but some great cup runs gave um, a lot of United fans of that era um, memories that they would never leave them. Ron Atkinson was known for attacking football. His West Brom side were incredibly entertaining uh, if you speak to anyone from that era. So sit down for the next half an hour or so. That's the duration of the podcast. Put your feet up with a cup and enjoy. We'd love your feedback. Tweet us at Stretty News. There's a Stretty News Facebook page. Um, And if you have questions for an upcoming podcast or maybe even an idea for a guest, you can email me at at dale at strettynews.com. We love feedback. Make sure you give us a review on on iTunes. And this podcast will also be available on on YouTube if you fancy sharing that. Um, So yeah, enjoy the next half an hour and... Hopefully the feedback is positive. I'd also like to thank Ron for giving me the time. And also you can purchase his book, The Manager, which there will be links for that in the description and on the blog. Yeah.
0: More than that. Still Giggs goes, he's through, he's scored! Ryan Giggs, is that the goal that's plenty for Manchester United? To the left, right foot right it's a clear header, and it's a little left! So Won the
1: European Cup for How long did it take to conduct this book? Actually,
0: we did it rather quickly. Um, they approached me, the people approached me just after, I think just after Christmas and I spent a lot of time writer. So, yeah,
1: doing, it's been, been turned around pretty quick, actually. Okay, and was there a certain message you wanted to get out when writing a book? Was there a certain story or a certain thing you wanted to kind of inform people on? So far, I'm in the middle of the book and it's been a great read. The one thing that kind of jumped out to me was that at the very beginning you talk about warm ups and they weren't something that you were too in favour of. You mentioned a brilliant quote from Andrea Pirlo that um, warm ups were, were uh, masturbation for conditioning coaches, which is <laughs> very, very good. Um, on that note, at United, in terms of warm ups, what was your approach? Well, basically, we, we normally warmed up in, indoors. Mm. And that was
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, five minutes before and I know it's all supposed to be scientific now but I I look I watch teams uh, and I spend a lot of time just before the games at United when I'm doing the television there and I'm watching teams warm up and yeah they look very impressive but I've got to be honest when I was in Spain we used to do this and I didn't find it really added it never seemed to get teams flying out of the blocks when they came out or anything that didn't
1: absolutely. You always hear of groin strains or hamstring injuries yeah. pulling up and so yeah. on. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, it seems it seems something, it's particularly, strangely enough, there seems to be a lot more,
0: there certainly seems to be as many injuries as there was in in, in days gone
1: by. A lot, uh, a lot of that too, Ron, could be down to players were harder in the older days.
0: But sometimes players, when they were um, one of the big things in players' contracts at one time, you know, was the, the uh, appearance
1: money. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book. Appearance money was a, quite a big thing.
0: and um, You know, and, and players, players basically would, uh, you know, they didn't want to be injured. There was a less, less encouragement to be injured. Mm. So we say, put it that way.
1: Um and in many ways, I know myself as a player. It was an inconvenience being injured. But It's funny you mentioned that. Extra treatment and so forth. So basically, what you
0: did, you said, um You know, you, I think mental strength came into it
1: an awful lot. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that because something that's kind of brewed in the last year has been Daniel Sturridge at Liverpool and. Klopp's come out and said it, it, it's, it's something to do with his mental side and even John Aldridge came out when he was playing saying that when, when you were playing for a football club you wanted to play every week. I, even if you had niggles, you, you'd walk through it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... Now there's that many,
0: you know, medical staff. I mean, we had a physio and a doctor. Mm. And <laughs> my, I used to say to the physio, my, and I had a great physio at... Um, particularly at Aston Villa who was mainly responsible for prolonging former McGrath's career. I used to say that when, he, when I first joined the villa, he said to me, you know, what um, What do you want from me? I said, well, my idea of a perfect physio is somebody that wears a brown cow gown, leans on the uh, medical door with a cigarette on and doesn't let anybody in. You know, I
1: mean, sometimes um, you get the impression sometimes that the medical staff don't feel happy unless they've got a room full of, cl- of people. Yeah, it's 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 gone very scientific you now. You look at labs today, see Milan, and how they can try and monitor players from getting injured next month and stuff. But it, it doesn't it doesn't stop players getting injured. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, obviously somebody give a lot of thought
0: into it, but. Once, I always think once you put things in people in players' minds um, then they tend to think that way mm. you know sometimes you say well you, you're alright it's only pain just tell them it's only pain yeah. you know and then um, mind you there were certain people certain players that you have if they ever went down you, you knew you knew there was a problem yeah. yeah you know because of the mental strength of the players you knew your players
1: a strong mind, did And you knew certain players that would go down at any sort of any sort of uh, minor knock. Something I want to touch on, um, Ron, which is th- th- there's always a lot made about a so-called drinking culture at Manchester United. And I I interviewed one of your former players um, a few years ago. i um, John Gibman, who was also a player at Aston Villa and a well liked player. John was a brilliant interview, by the way, but he touched on something about the drinking culture. that Always to kind of let me think a small bit. He said that Liverpool were winning things in the eighties, but they were drinkers under the table. That there was it was always more made out that this so-called drinking culture of United, and it wasn't always the case. Could, could you elaborate oh, on that, I, maybe? I, I, there's, there's, uh, certain things have been
0: made about. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I once went on tour with that that Liverpool team, who were one of the one of the it could almost be called they're in the top three of the great club sides of all time. Mm. And I was on I was on a trip to Israel with them once. <laughs> I couldn't believe the, the amount of stuff they could put away. But they could train it out of themselves. It was and in that in those day and age as well, you know, players players weren't out players weren't out players weren't out Morning, noon, and night. and they were not have night nice before games and things like that. You know, it was all right. They might have a social evening once a week or something like that. Which and, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's an awful lot made
1: over a lot of it's nonsense in my book. Anyway, do you think these social nights maybe benefit in terms of team bonding and bringing new players into a squad and getting people familiar with one another?
0: Yeah, they can at the right time, provided enough four nights a week or something like that, <laughs> um, boys go out and you know they, they let off steam. But I mean, I used to say to whoever was, uh, and uh, nearly always the the skipper would let me know when it was happening. I'd go look,
1: provided you don't cause trouble mm. and you don't get you don't annoy people. Which is pretty fair because I always kind of had a feeling, and um, there was this, this kind of story. You know, why I wanted to talk to you about it because. A lot of people kind of have a, a kind of a view on on you as manager because of what other people have said, um, in the past about maybe you had the influence. But I never thought that was the case. And speaking to John Gibman, that it was just something that people made a mountain out of a molehill, um, and it's it's why I want. And obviously, going going on to win two FA Cups at United, um, you didn't do too poorly, you know? No, oh, well, don't forget, when I went to United as well, I mean, I'd left, the West Brom team I left was a better team than the
0: United team I took over.
1: A terrific attacking I mean, side. We, fin- we finished, you know, we were
0: qualifying for Europe at the time when United worked. And so that's when I went there. People people have only seen United since they had been the, the Sky and Premier, think mm. that United have You're in and you're out. Whereas I think three years before I went there,
1: they have been relegated. And obviously, tr- through your time, United, there were some highs and there were some lows. But I think United fans of that era have always told me about your attacking brand of football. Um, they love following United on the Rackinson and people of that era. But obviously, bef- before your time, United, there was Dave Sexton, who you went on to work with at a later stage of your career. Yeah, who, fa- who fans might talk about in, in a different light. Like, United. um a common belief that his football was totally different to yours was maybe too negative. Um, But you worked with, with Dave Sexton. How, how, did you, how did you find a balance in the way maybe two you had different views on it? Dave, Dave, is arguing, Dave Sexton is arguably the best coach. And I've seen a lot of the European coaches' work, the so-called top European
0: coaches' work. Dave Sexton is arguably the most inventive coach I've ever seen. Hmm. So when I, when I was at Haston Villa, I, sort of, uh, I, know I, knew, I, I knew Dave quite well, he lived fairly local. I said, why well, do you come in and do, do some coaching with all, all the younger players? Um, which he did, invariably he came in and looked after, not looked after, but he came in and worked with every player. And I said, everybody that's under 21, 21 are looking,
1: come in and do extra work with Dave, um, which he did. So you obviously had a very good relationship with Dave Sexton have having worked with him and there was no kind of, you worked well together. Oh,
0: terrific. Dave was a great bloke and he was, he had a far, I mean, I had him at the, the when, when the kids had the Christmas party at the ground, you know, the young players, and mm. um, we, what we used to do, I used to organise a, a staff match against the, uh, calling a few people like, Neil from Coventry and Jerry Cooper from Birmingham, and that, and we used to play the the, uh, the what is the, the, uh, the juniors, and then they'd have a Christmas meal with them in, in the canteen. Um, I've actually had a Dave up there singing on the mic, you know, and
1: all that. You know, that good. Dave had a, a very, Dave was a smashing bloke. Just two or three more topics I want to dive into before I ask a few questions from the listeners. um One of them actually stems from, um, I suppose, the likes of Robson, the likes of Norman Whiteside and Paul McGrath. And players that you say, McGrath and and Whiteside in the book, they were mismanaged by Ferguson when Ferguson took over. Um, What was like working with those players firstly? And and why do you think Ferguson chose maybe to to get rid of McGrath and Whiteside? Well, I think first and foremost, don't forget when I was there, they didn't have injury problems. Hmm.
0: or I left, they both got injured, but uh, I found them proper people, Norman, Norman Whiteside came into the first team at 16, I put him in the first team at 16 when he was probably mentally about 25, and when he had to finish, the 20, and people forget, he finished early with injury, from 25. twenty. probably
1: only about 25, 26, then he became a teenager. You mentioned that in the book, uh, alright. <laughs> Um, Paul McGrath was, um,
0: if anybody ever listens to Paul's life story, it's the most emotive life, you know, I mean, he had so many things going against him and yet he fought through them all and became, for me, still the best centre-half the Premiership's ever known. You know, there's been some great centre-halves, I've never seen anybody in the Premiership centre-half play better than Paul McGrath.
1: That's quite a statement and obviously well, me being from Ireland Rob, or McGrath is, is absolutely loved by people here if you were if you were Aston
0: Villa now and ask any Villa fan who is the best player they've had in the last since I would say I'll go since the end of the war but since 1960 it'll always be Paul
1: McGrath and obviously Robson as well the the best captain oh, well, the, the best captain you're oh, to
0: worked with I mean he is I mean he was, he's, he's an all time great as a player um, and a great bloke as well you know you, those three the funny thing about the three players
1: that allegedly got mentioned was the commitment level was fantastic when they played fantastic something um, that obviously reports suggested back in 1984 that Robson was close or considering a move to Italy was there any anything to that?
0: Yeah, there was a little bit of, um, inf- well, there was more than a little bit of interest. Um, Sampdoria wanted him. And I think I think Brian would have, at the time, he, he would, he, you know, he'd start a, a fancy move there to Italy because it's very glamorous. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said to the people, I said, I'll tell you what. Give us Trevor Francis, Liam Brady, and one and a half million, and we'll consider it. Well, <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. But out of it, we we managed to sell Ray Wilkins for one and a half billion,
1: um, and kept Robson. And then a year later, there was obviously talk of you signing um, Gary Lineker, and that didn't happen. Um, was there interest from you, and and if there was, why didn't it? Why didn't it happen?
0: Well, what had happened? We agreed a deal with Lineker. It was eighty-five. To Final mm. against Everton, um, we'd agreed to deal with him. Um, but the board of directors said, "We, you know, we've really in those days as well. You know, you didn't just buy players; you had to buy and sell. You have to try and balance the books up." Yeah. And basically, what uh, the idea was for us to try and sell one of the front players to bring um, Lenny in. Now, in that period of time. Lineker originally, his contract was up at Leicester. He'd agreed, he was talking about he'd signed another year, and when we did our deal, he, he, he could move to us. And then Howard Kendall got wind of it and went in and persuaded
1: him to go to Everton. Oh, do you think that was a missed opportunity for yourself as manager? I think, yeah, yeah, it would have been
0: crazy it been just what we needed, but, you know,
1: sometimes. And perhaps um, a missed opportunity for Lineker as well. Perhaps a missed opportunity for Gary Lineker himself? Well, maybe, but I mean, he went
0: down to a great career, didn't he? You know, he, he did well at Everton and went to Barcelona. He um, would have been perfect for us,
1: yeah. Very well. Um, just an, another thing, it, 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 it's in, in the news at the moment, just to get your views on it, without going into detail of what's happened lately. Um, obviously, as a manager, you've had deals with, with so many people in football um, throughout the years, negotiations and whatnot. Um in your days as Managing United, how much of an influence did agents have? Not that much,
0: to be fair. Agents have become more and more prevalent. At the time, agents mainly, um, for a long period, were people that organised end of season tours and things like that. Right. Um, then they started to get involved slightly, but never... In fact, there was a time when you weren't allowed. Let's think how it worked out. You weren't allowed to have the agent and the player in the room at the same time for some some weird reason. I'm not quite sure what that ruling was. But there was definitely a ruling where you couldn't have a player in the room and an agent
1: at the same time. Because it's always interesting looking back at um the young players coming through to the class in ninety two and Sir Alex Ferguson was adamant that um Ryan Giggs, who wasn't practicing of, of 92, but was was coming through at the same time, was looked after by a good advisor that he was advised by the right people um, yeah, and obviously well. looking at young players today you kind of feel that they're not always advised in, the, in their best interest but in the best interest of the agent that's making the cash well the funny not the
0: funny thing, the unusual thing now is you're hearing stories about kids of 10 and 11 years of age and don't forget at one time you weren't allowed to have players on your staff that were 14 anyway mm. Um, Kids are being offered, the parents being offered things like houses, cars, and all sorts of things. You know, it is. uh, I suppose it's a way of life, and it it tells you what sort of stories are are washing. You know, the money are washing the Premiership. But um, unfortunately, I I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a good thing at all. You know, uh, sometimes you want your younger players to be hungry and wanting to get in the first team and wanted to so they could earn extra money you know, they could earn better contracts. Yeah. I mean Norman Whiteside always tells a story about I think in the in the in his first three years he said I, I gave him ten different contracts. <laughs> I kept moving his contract up a bit every time he did something, you know, when he progressed from a junior player first team then got in the Irish squad and then started being in the top one of the top players at United and he you know, that's how he, how he is how he worked then. Nowadays you wouldn't get that nowadays, somebody would be there advising and demanding really that um there was a very much a big sum of money put somewhere for for the kid i I tell you what I would like to see, I'd like to see young players not being given the big money until
1: say they reach twenty one. But a the, money, cap. the money they earn uh, could be put to one
0: side into a pension fund or something like that. You know, um, the money they earn, mm. if they were in the first thing 17, instead of giving them that, the extra big money that they were earned, put it into some sort of a pension fund or something that they could collect or a loyalty bonus when they were 21 or something
1: like that. But speaking of contracts, um, one of your former players we did an interview with about. I think two years ago, Scott McGarvey was signed by Dave Sexton. Always mentioned that you made him feel ten foot tall. Uh, he remembers getting his first contract, and I think he got a car with it. And he spoke very positively about you. Um, he mentioned that he didn't play much under Dave Sexton, that that signed him for United. Just before we wrap things up, I have a few questions from from listeners that were keen to to get your view on things. Um, the first one is from Top Blood on Twitter. Who in today's mark would you break the transfer record for Al Arabo? Obviously, this is coming yeah, on the back of Paul Pogba costing so much money for United. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, could we leave that one to the end? I'll have a little look at that. You can have, you can
1: have a look. <laughs> and what, 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 we'll do as well is you cannot mention Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, no, no, no. I'll no, no. that, 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 that's, that's too oh, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if it was, if it was movable.
0: He might not be movable now. I think somebody like a United, City, um, Arsenal, for argument's sake, people are, if you could get Suarez, I think if, if somebody could get Suarez, one of the big teams, they'd win the league. I remember saying that two years ago. I said, whoever gets um, Percy will win the league. It happens. The City and United win for him at the same time. And when
1: he went to United, I said, "United are in the league now, so it's going to be a recognised goal scorer, somebody of that hill. And if you can't, if I can't have can Ronaldo or Messi. <laughs> uh, Suarez or If it has to be, if you buy somebody out of England, um, it would be Aguero, I guess. Yeah, not a bad shout. Um, and actually, on the. Yeah, yeah. On on the fold of transfers, um, Dennis Healy wants to know, what would Paul McGraw be worth in today's market? Uh, well, a very good question, Paul I, I, McGrath. I, there. Can't a, I can't put a value on
0: market because, you know, like I said, um, it's, bit, it's still for me the best centre-half that's ever played in the Premiership. So, you know, whatever
1: whatever the going rate is for the best centre-half, he would be it. John Stone just called, cost Man City 50 million, and he wasn't even starting for England at the Euros, you know, so... Well, you're right, you right. I mean, the, the,
0: the problem with people like Man City uh, people know how much money they've got, they know what they'll go to, or, or Man City, and, so, and to an extent, Man United are, is get the player, you know, if that's the player they've identified, get him, it. um, so it's hard to say what um, Paul McGrath would be worth if he was... <laughs>
1: another question from MUFC Um what did you say to get the best out of the lads in 84 against Barcelona uh, uh, what
0: happened we, we got beat 2 nothing in the new camp mm. and we
1: No, Old Trafford. Um, and just just before we do wrap it up, three more questions. Three of the best questions I can find from the, a long list. You heard that your job at you know, United was being taken over by Ferguson. How did you feel that day? As, is, is there is there a, a relationship down the years or never no, really? No, been no, well
0: with yeah, you've had your ups and downs and things like that. We've been competitive, we've had mm. arguments over certain things which you do in the game, but it's always been resolved. And... Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course, I suppose, and you can't disrepute the what a fantastic manager he was. But there was there was often feuds down the line with other people. But I suppose when you, when you're at that height of the game, you can't keep everyone happy. Um, no, no, no. Um, as you know, as Manchester United manager, you're always under criticism somehow or other. All your fault after two weeks Um, I I suppose another person wants to ask um, Wayne Robinson says where did it all go wrong he said we all love the attacking brand of football but something went wrong at the end Um, did you lose the players
0: Strachan, Robson was out, um McGrath himself was out, Whiteside was out. And don't forget,
1: in those days, we didn't carry twenty-five, twenty-five players as a mm. squad. We probably had about 14 players and then you put reserve kids in. I suppose then on the base squad, the last question from Roger O'Neill, which player would you have loved to sign for most in your years at United but didn't get a chance to? Which I suppose which player as well, he kind of goes on and kind of says... Um, would this player have kind of, well, kind of cut the gap between yourself and that great Liverpool side? I think, I think the Lineker one would have been the one, yeah. Lineker stands out as a, like a sore thumb, so... Yeah. you mentioned that great record against Liverpool um, so what was it down to then the consi- is it consistency was it they uh, they, the United weren't winning they, the league titles they, they probably saw up lesser teams um, because they you know they had this, this extra goal scoring threat of the uh, rush because people but must Russia remember Russia too Russia. people must remember too when Ferguson took over he didn't exactly win the league straight away you know it took time it took it also took the club um, to be patient um, yeah I mean what happened what happened with it it wouldn't happen nowadays because you know the board the board were very patient the board
0: could see what probably had in mind that this and that and the other. but nowadays you, you see you see somebody like an Aston Villa for arguments sake
1: today you know the manager's been there a few months. Six, Twelve weeks, I think, and he's gone. Yeah, they've had five
0: managers now, Villa. You know, I'm just using Villa as an example, but it's pretty well. There's very few clubs now that if if, if, if they if
1: don't if they lose three or four on the bounce, you know, every manager's job's in jeopardy now. Well, look, you can see it on social media, which can be can be cruel at times. Jose Mourinho's in his first season at Manchester United, and. After after a bad bad week there two weeks ago when we lost three games and on, on, on the trough, people were calling for his name and you know you, you know United have been a club under the Ferguson. year people kind of thought that oh this this is a football club with with morale. Do you know it has ethics? It won't sack managers. Give managers time. Um, Dave Ma- David David Moyes was given one year. Louis Van Gaal was sacked. He he found out he was sacked after about an hour or five minutes after winning an FA Cup. Um, yeah. do you think Jose Mourinho is the right man for Manchester United before we wrap it up definitely definitely yeah, yeah. i tell you what I've
0: noticed I've noticed all through the Premiership this year already last year I thought the Premiership was the worst I've ever known and I thought Leicester highlighted that Leicester took advantage because Leicester played what I call typical aggressive high tempo um, English football or British football that we've been put up and that we loved and I thought a lot of the other clubs are playing what I call steady eddy football now I think when I look at the premiership matches this season I see a far far higher tempo than even last year and I think teams have looked at less at all you know there is a lot to be said for playing all out aggression and high tempo
1: Look, you you mentioned that, and it's interesting because it, there's always that kind of talk too about, say, the English national team and the kind of there was talk of what way they should play, and people kind of always say, look at the way Spain play, but you haven't got the players play that brand, play to your strengths. We get to yeah. We get to- last thing you have to ask however the next permanent manager will be your, your job should pay to your strengths and when you're adapting something that your players are clearly not too comfortable with it's a recipe for disaster well you know um, I wouldn't disagree with that I, I think you play, you play to what your strengths are mm.
0: and no matter what no matter what you know and I, I, I still believe in good quality but I big it Uh, pace
1: and power and drive and tempo Ron it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Um, the book I'm going to put up on on the blog and give links to people to purchase, Um, I'm halfway through it and I'm really enjoying some of the insights you're giving, especially the insight you're giving in this interview as well Um, real pleasure and hopefully I get to speak to you again sometime soon Um, all the best thanks for your time, Okay. good lad see you later
0: He's he scored! Ryan Giggs! Is that the goal that's winning for Manchester United? To the left, right footed, it's a clear out! network